Hi, I'm Izzy, and this is Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons. Hello, I'm Peter. And we're going to talk about another one of Peter's wonderful stories in the Pana cycle. This is Story 6, Visions. And the theme we'll be talking about it through today is memory. And I hope you're very psyched to hear about some strange and a little trippy stuff. Strange things happen in this chapter. And just to introduce it a little bit, we'll be talking about The Giver by Lois Lowry, which is an amazing book, suitable for elementary through all ages. I read it in elementary school first, so my memory isn't the best because I haven't read it since. But a very quick and abbreviated summary. I believe the protagonist is named Jonas, and... In this society, which, as you read the book, you find out that it's sort of a futuristic, maybe post-apocalyptic society. I don't know if they say explicitly that the apocalypse happens, but sort of a utopian, dystopian type of society that you find out is a dystopia, but starts out seeming like a utopia the way these dystopias start out. And he becomes the the main character, Jonas, becomes the apprentice to the giver, who his entire function in this society is to preserve memories of the past. And through his tutelage, Jonas kind of learns more about the past through the literal transmission of those memories from the giver to himself, so that Jonas can become the new sort of receptacle of memory for his community. And as he learns more of these memories of the past and just learns about new information that nobody in his community knows and nobody really talks about, he re- comes to terms with how messed up his society actually is and runs away with this kid who's his sort of his adopted little brother, I think. And at the end of the story, skipping many things in the middle, he leaves his community with the little boy. Yeah, and I think the idea of the memories, as Izzy was talking about before we started, they're used as a way for, like, someone remembers the past and advises the people who are making decisions about the community, but no one else has to remember all those things. So it's kind of like a way to spare them of remembering all, like, these past collective traumas, I guess, in a way. So it's really looking at kind of the purposes of memory. What do you do with it? What do you gain from it? What do you lose when you lose your memory? So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about in this story that I wrote. And first, we're going to just briefly summarize the story. So, as Izzy said, this is story six of what we're now calling the Pana Cycle, because that sounds fun. Oh, great. And um, it's called Visions, and Pana is now on a boat sailing across the Hudson Bay. They don't know it's the Hudson Bay, because, again... I didn't know it was the Hudson Bay. Yeah. Um Again, post-apocalyptic society, so no one knows what anything is, but I do. It's um, so they're they're sailing, and 
they're trying to find this island. So MC, the cartographer of the group, has a map that says there's an island out here. So they're going to try to stop there. And they ultimately don't find it. What ends up happening, a member of their crew, Bob, has this like vision. They don't know he's having a vision. He like falls asleep. And everyone's like, oh, he like won't wake up. This is super weird. Like they're, you know, slapping him and whatever. I don't think they slapped him. I don't think it's in the text. <laughs> that That is an embellishment. But like he's not, the point is he's not waking up like they're trying to wake him up. And they're like, something's wrong and he's not waking up. Mm-hmm. Whether or not slapping occurs, we don't know. And then people start just like falling asleep all throughout the ship. And... They're pretty much exactly where the island should be on the map, but they're not seeing it. People are falling asleep and they try to row like away from it, but they ultimately don't get away from whatever is doing it and everyone falls asleep and so does Pana. And then Pana also has these visions. So most of, I think all of their visions either happened to them so it's like a memory of something that happened in panda's life usually like with their father or with vare and then there are a few other ones that haven't necessarily happened to panda but they've happened to either people that panda has met so there's a vision where panda's kind of seeing it from naka's point of view or no from naka's husband's point of view i think because they see Naka. So there's that. There's a vision of how Ryotho was initially destroyed. And how like that green toxic like rivers kind of formed. There's a, a vision of the port city they were just at. And kind of the beginnings of that. And then there's another vision of how the apocalypse kind of started and we find out like there was an island there there was like a secret like facility and from there there were decisions made to like destroy parts of the world so yeah there's a lot of just like you know all of these are memories whether collective or individual and not not that Pana needs to like figure out what to do with them in this story because the story ends when the visions end and there's like no time for Panda to like think about what happened. But moving forward, that's kind of what I want to think about as we explore like the future stories, what Panda learns from these, like what it tells us about the state of the world and like the state of Panda and their relationship with Vare. And then there's also, okay, <laughs> there's also two visions at the end that aren't memories. So there's one where I don't know if it's if it's like super clear, but I think I implied that it wasn't a vision of like or it wasn't like a memory of Pan and Vare. No, I think you state like how is Vare I mean th- these aren't the words, but how is Vare here? She never saw this place. Yeah. So so it's it's definitely there. And they kind of recognize, like, oh, they're collectively having this vision that isn't a memory. It's, like, a real-time kind of thing. And obviously, like, so Vare's also on the boat. So, like, she's also having visions. Side note. Yeah. She's not too important in this. 
she's mostly in like memories and in this like one vision but like she's collectively having these visions so like not everyone is having the same visions but in this case like Vare is having the same vision as Pana and that was how I initially ended the story and then this last vision I added like a week ago of like this person Helen who like we don't know anything about her and Pana is like confused but she seems to like have some sort of knowledge that the other characters don't really have and we'll talk about that at some point because like I really enjoyed my initial ending for it that you never read because again I added this in like right before you mm -hmm. read it but yeah that one was also like not a memory it was like a a meeting like with someone who might have been a memory who's like now impacting or like talking about what's happening kind of like Tom Riddle like Tom Riddle is a memory <laughs> but he's interacting and doing things in like the present day yeah, specifically the Tom Riddle from the diary and book two of the Harry yeah Potters. yeah not like Voldemort when Harry calls him Tom to annoy him like the actual like memory in the diary yep so that's kind of you know except Helen is not like malevolent like that or at least we don't know she might be never mind I'm gonna leave that vague for now um, well you just confirmed it though or or did I do you remember that I don't know <laughs> um but moving on we're, we're going to talk about this story, thinking about memory. I thought it was really interesting because at first you don't, or I didn't know that they were all either memories or things that may have really happened. I was interpreting it more from like dream sequence, kind of what does my subconscious tell me? And then it became more obvious as the chapter went on that, no, it's not just, you know, dream exploration, but it's actual memories which i mean dreams definitely pull a lot from you know conscious experience and memories which is interesting in itself but i think the idea of how memory affects our conscious lives because we aren't co always thinking about and remembering things that happen and yet they still guide our actions even when we aren't actively thinking about them yeah i mean you know, like reflexive memory, just like muscle memory. So like, if you're like playing an instrument or something and you just like do the thing and you're not like actively thinking of like the notes you're playing sometimes. So like there's things like that or like you, I don't know how memory works entirely with this. I wish I had my cousin on, she studies memory. But if you see like a, a scary animal like maybe you've interacted with it before or you've seen like something else in your past that has like fangs or something or claws and you like you know you take a step back and you like get a little scared so like maybe you don't necessarily remember your past interactions with like a similarly scary animal but that memory is impacting like how you react to it just like keeping you safe or or not Mm -hmm. but definitely like not you know not in a way that you're actively like using the memory it's like memory exists and you can use it in some cases but even if you don't use it like it's impacting what you do mm -hmm. yeah i'm thinking of it also from not that i know too much personally about this but 
um, from things I have heard from reputable sources. Uh, no, <laughs> things I, from things I have heard about how trauma, you know, sticks with you and really can affect a person very deeply and not just in like a PTSD kind of way where you can be literally having flashbacks or having like physical reactions when a, you have a trigger that you experience, but, um, how it can actually, it can change the chemistry of your brain and like certain parts of your brain, like that, I think the frontal lobe changes and like the parts of your brain that I don't know which part it is, but the part that like registers fear in your fight and fight or flight response grows more active than a person who hasn't experienced trauma or like sustained trauma so that you're more ready to do actions befitting emergency situations, but then your decision-making like frontal lobe isn't as active or as developed because of that, which is, I mean, your brain's actual development and functioning changes, which is a sort of, I guess, your brain remembers what happened and has been changed by your experiences. Yeah, I don't know enough about neuroscience to confirm. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could tell you a source where I got this, but my source is my friend. Please do confirm, listeners. Um, search for sources. I cannot point you to any specific ones. But I do think beyond just the neurological aspect, which neither of us can talk about deeply, the tra it, trauma does stick around and even just, um, you know, hearing a song or something and, you know, never being able to, like, having emotions just unbidden popping up that you don't want to feel or, um, you know, certain habits that you can't, like, kind of like muscle memory, but like habits that you develop during situations of like, oh, I gotta, I have to tiptoe down this hallway or, um, you know, always remembering to lock the door at night. Well, no, you should do that anyways, but like different things that you could continue to do even once you're not in the dangerous situation anymore because of that memory and maybe not even like actively you know, remembering what that specific event was. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I'm thinking of, too, is not just, like, how someone, you know, acts or behaves or something, but just the idea that, like, I mean, this is probably less memory and more just, like, the past, where, like, mm -hmm. something happens, and even if you don't remember it, like, it impacts what you do moving forward. So maybe that gets more into, like, the collective memory of a society or something. So, like, mm. maybe you don't necessarily remember, like, exactly what happened. But because something happened, the society, like, acts in a certain way. And certainly there's a lot of just, like, interesting thoughts about how societies remember stuff, too. And what, you know, what that does. I'm just thinking again of like my thesis, which was about monuments and stuff. And, you know, monuments as like a way to remember. And how that impacts, like how that society functions. And it's not that like everyone is specifically remembering the thing. 
itself, but they're seeing like this symbol like that presents a certain memory or a certain vision of a potential memory. And it impacts like how how people, you know, move forward and like walk through the spaces that they go through, how they like participate in society. Yeah. I mean, for collective memory or the collective unconscious or however, I'm not sure how I could describe that. But I definitely am thinking of how a collective narrative can be formed and added on to and can become part of sort of a collective identity, collective memory through everyone learning and sharing and building onto a story that like with the monuments or like George Washington had wooden teeth. And for some reason, a lot of American school children are told that little factoid. And also that he chopped down a cherry tree and told his father because he could never lie. And somehow that's supposed to instill in the American child's mind, like, don't be dishonest, always tell the truth. And somehow it's, that's, the narrative is that honesty and wooden teeth, I don't know, <laughs> are part of um, the narrative we tell ourselves about what is American identity or what is, I guess, what is our history that became us. Yeah, and like, why do we, why are those the things that we remember? Like, why? Instead of. Yeah, instead, instead of other of stories. Instead of other things. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure there's other things. Like, I don't know. I'm so curious, too, like, what George Washington would think. Like, he just walks into a school building and they're talking about his wooden teeth. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But but just the idea of, like, why do we remember the things that we remember? And, like, how would you know, the U.S. potentially be different if we, like, emphasize something other than the cherry tree and the wooden teeth. And obviously, like, there's the bigger thing of, like, him being the first president and fighting in the revolution. <laughs> that that but, also. Yeah. Like, how... <laughs> so how do those stories impact our society today? Like, how would it be different if we told different stories or remember different things? Or, like, remember different, like, remember the same thing, but in different ways. I'm sure you can tell the story of him being a general, but, like, maybe one person tells the story of, like, a specific battle, and, like, someone else, like, tells a different story about a different battle. But, like, the, you know, ultimately it's still, like, him being a general. Does, does it matter that, do these two different stories have an impact? What would happen if we didn't tell those stories? Hmm. And also just, like, who is telling the stories and are these even accurate, too? So I think that's that's also just a concern with memory. Like, memory, you know, we're, we're talking about it as if it's, like, a thing that happened, which is important to think about, too. But also, like, what happens when that memory didn't happen? Yeah, I was thinking um, back on the colonial theme, how we always learn about the French and Indian War, but really it was... The French versus the British and the Native Americans were just kind of there because they were, it was their land that the French and the British were fighting on and both trying to claim. And so different Native Americans picked different sides, but it's like it was never, you know, 
it makes it sound as if they were one of the causes of the war when it was really the British versus the French, but because our colonies were founded by the British, they just edited out their own name from the name of the war, I guess. Or the Ameri- maybe American historians edited that out. I'm not sure. That's a lot of like what colonial history is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can just tell you from my thesis, like one of the monuments that I looked a lot at was like this obelisk type thing that was like the grave marker of this general, General Underhill. Well, that's a real name. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, you know, Teddy Roosevelt like dedicated the monument. It's so, like this guy was, I mean, he was alive, like he died like way before Teddy Roosevelt came to be the president. But the monument was like put during the, the Roosevelt administration. It's like this guy was kind of a big deal here, at least. And ultimately through... There as in Long Island. Yeah, Long Island, like Massachusetts, like the New England... The New England area. He was... He was roaming around. I think he started in Connecticut. But, you know, I looked at a bunch of different academic articles. I talked with the the archivist of the Underhill Society. There's a whole society dedicated to this guy. And ultimately I found out... So as a general, like, he went and, like, massacred a bunch of, like, native villages. And even the archivist was, like, I mean, he was being, he was trying to be, like, a little bit more neutral. Um, And I think he could tell, like, oh, I'm this, you know, green-haired college kid, like, (laughs) who's talking about colonialism and stuff. And he was, so he was trying to, like, present this guy in, like, a little bit of a, a more, not positive light, but just, like, a more neutral one. He was like, yeah, he probably, like, attacked these people without provocation. Like, we're pretty sure of that. And yet he has this monument to him, and it's... The monument says, like, oh, to a good soldier, a good citizen. The Underhill Society that put it there, they... You know, their mission statement is to, like, uphold and promote, like, the legacy of this guy as, like, a good and model citizen. So I'm kind of losing track of where the point began. But just the idea, like we were talking about colonial history and the ways in which, you know, there's these stories that we latch on to or that certain people latch on to and try to disseminate. And they're not always true. So like a lot of memory is like how you choose to interpret what happened, like what perspective, like what, like how you present it, how people presented to you there's there's definitely a lot of that going on in this story mm-hmm. yes indeed i mean starting first with um the confusion between what is reality and what is not because at the beginning the visions don't start off clearly as this is something that happened in the past and it's not a dream or a product of the mind but as you go on the signs are clear that these are things that really, in in the book world, did happen. And Pan is experiencing memories of things. Or, you know, now that you're saying these things about memory, I'm wondering how accurate or how, you know, narratively faithful we can be or how, how much I can trust in the stories now that I've read them. But I'm going to trust in them just because... It will be easier to understand the story that way. 
But you know, now I'm thinking that's also a trick and a trap to under choose the simpler narrative that's easier to understand. I'm not smart enough to write that. These, as far as I understand it, like these are all things that happened. Yeah, I, I mean, I was speaking more of the trap in a, in a more general sense. Um, the narrative that might win would be the narrative that is, you know, simpler, mm-hmm. easier to digest, lacking, you know, complexities or you know, moral grayness or um, information that makes you feel left not happy that's not a great way to say it but you know generally the things that get washed out of history and out of collective memory are the things we don't want to remember or yeah i mean just to jump in that's exactly what's happening in a lot of states with like banning books and things like it's actively like mm-hmm. what what is there's one state i keep losing track because there's so many states they're doing crazy things but there was one state that like specifically like it may have been florida where they're like if a student is uncomfortable like the teacher can be fined really yeah i mean it was specifically like if they're talking about like race in the u.s and like racism like if if a white student's uncomfortable the teacher could be in trouble and i feel like it's florida the problem is there's so many states that are doing like book bannings on like race and stuff and like florida i know has like the don't say gay bill so, like, I'm forgetting what race things they've done <laughs> because I'm remembering mm-hmm. that one other bill, which is super annoying. But the point being, a lot of it is comfort. And, you know, a lot of the narrative around why these book bannings are happening is, like, you know, people are like, I don't want my my white children to, like, feel uncomfortable in their classroom. So rather than, like, learn from the past and learn how to, like, move forward as a society that works to benefit everyone and make everyone more comfortable they're like oh there's this little bit of discomfort and rather than like using that and growing from it i just don't want to be uncomfortable i don't want my kids to be uncomfortable so like yeah your idea about that is like just spot on well i i wish it wasn't (laughs) of course (laughs) Yeah, but going back to the story, to the text, I'm thinking of the scene at the very end where Pana is having a shared vision with Vare, and you're realizing this is the one one that is definitely not a memory because it hasn't happened. And I found it really strange how comfortable Pana and Vare were. I mean... In the dream world, or vision world, I guess, the rules are a little bit different. But um, they were just talking and sitting next to each other. And it seemed as if like both of them had, at least for this shared vision moment, forgotten all of the history and, you know, hot pursuit and injuries and death that had occurred. And they just felt comfortable in each other's presence in a way that if they had remembered or were actively remembering the things that had happened, just it felt like a strange interaction to read about because as the reader, I still remember everything that has happened and was suspending my disbelief because they're in the dream world and because for some reason the memory thoughts 
aren't in the top of their mind at that moment, and instead they're thinking more emotionally based on how much they actually care for each other being good friends. But my mind just wanted to jump in with, run away, don't go near her. Yeah, especially when you realize it's not a memory, and you're like, ooh, what's going to happen now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I wrote... When I started writing, I didn't know if these were, like, memories. The first vision you see is, like, a vision that the character Bob is having, so it's not even Pana. Mm-hmm. And definitely, like, th this was a fun story to write. This is probably my favorite story out of the nine of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I think that kind of makes it a little bit more suspect, like you were saying, just the fact that this isn't a memory and you're like, oh, something, you know, something might be causing this. And like, what is that? What motives does, does that force have? You know, why did Pan and Vari like come together in this like weird dreamscape type of thing? And then that, like you said, it kind of throws all the other memories into question, too. Oh, there's too much to talk about with this, because I want to talk about all the collective stuff and like society and the apocalypse, but also with just like Pana and their individual memories of Vare. What does that mean for, you know, the, the current pursuit that's happening? They haven't interacted too much since they both left the village. They had like that, mm -hmm. that altercation at the waterfall and the caves. And definitely Pana's been like trying not to think about Vare that much. And whenever they do, it's kind of negative. So like what does, what's going to happen now that like in the middle of their journey, they like have all these, you know, kinder memories of like Vare helping them, of them helping Vare. And then, like, what does this last vision even mean? I don't know. We'll see, potentially. I'm I'm very curious to see. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think, considering how long they have known each other, it couldn't just be it, or it, I guess it could be a one-and-done where they separate and then are, like, two objects moving in opposite directions for the rest of eternity kind of thing where that separation is complete and never coming back together again. But I feel like this is a lot more of like an oscillation back and forth between feel extreme emotions. Mm. Because, I guess, with a, re a relationship that is clear so foundational for both of them, having known each other since they were little kids, there's a lot that they have shared from this chapter you see a lot more of their childhood together, which was new information for me. So I do think it would be difficult to have an emotional separation, although I think physical separation at this point is necessary. Even if they weren't physically together, I think the memories would still be there and carried with both of them. And realistically, they probably would go back and forth between remembering the horrible things and remembering the nicer parts of knowing each other. So it makes sense in that way, but because they're still in the moment where they're, you know, one is in hot pursuit of the other and 
still in this moment of danger. It doesn't feel like... It feels a little bit strange and jarring. I'm also just thinking about what you were talking about before with, like, memory being a way to, like, protect you, too, in danger. Or, like, in situations where, like, you've had this past trauma mm. and you're, like, kind of remembering that. Not that it necessarily protects you, but, like, that it... There's this sense of, like, you trying to avoid things that might impact you negatively and, like, you don't even realize you're doing that. Mm -hmm. So I'm just... I'm curious, like, what, I mean, obviously, like, I know what's going to happen, but, like, if this were a real thing, and as I'm writing, like, I want to think about this, too, like, they're having these memories, and, like, how is that going to impact them the next time that they see Vare? And are these, like, good memories going to cause Pana to, like, reach out, or do all the bad memories that they've been having recently, like, still outweigh these? So, yeah, just the idea of, like, these memories as, you know, a resource, um, like, information to draw from and to act upon, potentially. And are they a danger in this moment? Hmm. I do think it's very interesting to think of memory as a resource. And going back to the beginning, to the giver... Memory really is a resource, and in the giver society, they do recognize it as something that needs to be stored and taken care of, even if they only let one person remember the past because it's too dangerous. And it is dangerous in the giver society to remember the past because the society that they have built operates on certain structures and certain assumptions and power hierarchies that would, you know, inevitably be toppled or you know, at, le at the very least rebelled against if people had all of their resources, including the memory of what has come before them, because they would be able to remember things were different and, you know, they would remember, you know, these were injustices of the past and, like, we're not going to let them be repeated for us or for our children and there would be more of an idea of continuity with maybe their ancestors or I don't know if ancestors are really talked about much in The Giver but I suppose continuity in the idea that they don't have maybe institutional memory or they don't have the memory of you know this is what came before, therefore they don't have a forward-thinking idea because I think in order to have, you know, a vision of the future, you have to know what the past looked like in order to really fully envision how you want your future to be. So they're sort of trapped in the present mode. And I think that gets back to just the collective society, like, type of memories. And that's a lot of, like, what I try to do in this story, too. So I think in previous discussions, I think we've talked about how, like, we're still not sure that this is our world um, or that, like, what the apocalypse was. And I think this is the first time where we, like, really, not we, I really confirm what happened and talk about that whole process. I mean, there's still parts that are mysterious to me. I mean, 
part of it makes more sense because you have explained to me out of the text some of the things mm -hmm. that occur. Um, so there is talk about, oh, cities were destroyed in these memories that you see Pana experiencing. Oh yeah, some cities were destroyed and, you know, the entire world hates this one man. But, um... I wonder who that might be. Yeah, but there's still a lot of, like, questions of, like, I don't really know... Other than vague ideas of warfare and conflict, how they got there, or what exactly is really going on. Although I don't know if that's necessary to know the specifics just for Pana's adventure and the larger scheme of things. But it is um, still a little mysterious, but very curious that it does seem to be sort of a cycle of, well... Let's just, you know, shoot a rocket at it. Maybe things will be better. I mean, the interesting thing, I love what you said about you not knowing enough to like about this world to to really understand what exactly happened. And it's just making me think of I mean, ultimately reading a book, the reader like goes into it with their own perspective and memories and things too and I'm curious like I think you went into it and the way that you described it it sounds like you totally just like tried to read like only what was in the text and like not bring some of your own like perspective and like memories into it and I feel like for me I mean part of it was I didn't want to like specifically state certain things so like if this ever gets published, which it won't, and, like, some individuals... You don't know that. Maybe. But, like, if it were to be published, you know, you could theoretically get away with some of these things. Because I don't, I don't name any, you know, 45th presidents, so <laughs> I can deny that. <laughs> but I think part of it, I'm just thinking, like, part of it is, like, we all live in such, like, you know, in, in our own day and, like, in our own times. And I'm almost, like, trying to rely on the fact that the readers, like, have their own memories of what we've all lived through, like, the past couple years and, like, what the world is like right now. And maybe that's cheating and, like, maybe I do need to, like, be more explicit in the text. But, yeah, no, I'm just super curious about, like, the role of, like, the reader and their own memories you know, being something that I can't necessarily write, but that I, we theoretically, collectively, at least some of us have the same collective memories and some of us are completely denying those as well. I don't know if any of that made sense. I was kind of vague. This is a very political story. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm happy to like explicitly like talk about some of these things. I think it's super interesting and I love talking about this stuff. And I don't know why I'm being more vague. But, um, definitely, yeah, definitely, I'm just curious about, like, the reader's role in, like, reading this and putting some work on their part. <laughs> yeah, being American, I did pick up on some of the references you were making, of course, <laughs> uh, to a particular former president, but I was trying to purposely temper that because mm -hmm. I don't know how this world that is separate from our world does operate, and I don't want to assume 
certain things. I also found it a little bit, well, not necessarily unbelievable, but I would want to see the sequence of events that actually got there to where the entire world actually banded together to hate this one person because that's not what actually happened. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely parts and, of this, you know, huge parts of this are fiction. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and also because, I mean, although there are parts that are more, more clearly explained, I mean, we have a general idea of mass destruction, but you only see a very particular and very small look into the situation room, basically, on this tiny island. And I have no idea what's happening in the rest of the world at that particular moment in history, so I didn't want to assume too much about what might or might not be happening. Yeah. I mean, and the other part of, like, me just keeping it open was kind of, like, I think really just relying on some of those assumptions. And, like, that's mm -hmm. fair. Like, as a reader, you can do whatever you want and you can, like, really just rely on the author to like tell you what the author wants to tell you or you can like think about it however you want so i don't know that's just something interesting to think about like moving forward like how much information i provide and how much i rely on like the reader and i think that might be impacted too by just like genre and like the story you're trying to tell so like i just listened to the obelisk gate by um nk jemison and, you know, there's a lot more, like, hard work that she has to put into, into, like, developing the world and, like, telling you, like, what kind of dynamics happen there and, like, showing you just the hierarchy and, like, I just read this and I can't think of the word, but they're basically earthbenders. Uh, does it start with a G or a J? Origins. Yes. With an O. Yeah. But it has a G in it. Yeah, like orogeny, like the construction of mountains. But they're earthbenders, is the point. But like she, so she has to do a lot more work because it's a world that is like entirely separate from ours. Whereas like with mine, I mean, one of my favorite parts is like there's this one advisor who's like trying to tell the president like what exactly happened, and they're like, you know, you like. You burned the Amazon, you bombed Antarctica and Greenland, like you sterilized like communities, you released the mur murder hornets in districts that didn't vote for you. So like we know what Antarctica is, like we're aware of global warming and like theoretically the impact that bo like bombing the glaciers might have. Like we know the importance of the Amazon, like the voting thing. We all just like lived through a coup last year, <laughs> an attempted coup. <laughs> and like we're gonna, the whole debate around like election stuff like is still ongoing and like we're gonna see more stuff like that so i think i have the luxury of operating within this idea of like the, the world that i'm talking about is based off of our world so i don't need to explain to you like what the amazon is so and i think that's like the tricky thing like even though there are like real things in this like how much of it do i need to explain or will people just like understand the importance of some of these things so it's it's just a tricky balance to kind of strike mm -hmm. and i think it is very interesting to think about that and going back to reader how a reader will interpret or understand the story you're trying to tell does make me think of i mean we're both reading this from 
a white American perspective being, you know, both from the East, East Coast, I'm from Virginia, you're from Long Island, so similar enough perspectives, I guess. But if I was from another country, I couldn't even imagine how I might read some of these references. I mean, the mm. Amazon, everyone knows about the Amazon, but like for a president, that speaks to like a certain, I mean, the American pre president like concerns the entire world, but for Americans specifically, it has a, di a particular like meaning and emotional, you know, consequence. Yeah, I mean, to the point where like I, you know, I wrote a book and like made him the the root of the apocalypse whereas mm -hmm. like you know someone in europe might be like oh this guy's crazy but like i don't have to live with as many consequences of his actions so like my vision of the apocalypse isn't like the same as that person in europe's vision of the apocalypse theoretically like, they could still write the same thing but yeah that's just to circle back around to our own memories and like my memories of the past couple years and like how that impacts the story that I'm telling and like how does the story I'm telling share these memories too so it's all yeah it would have been potentially different if someone else like from a different perspective community country like wherever wrote it mm -hmm. I mean it would just be of course anybody writing it any other person than you it would be a different story Mm -hmm. which it would be interesting I mean definitely there's different quirks of the individual psychology but even you know being from Virginia versus Long Island there's even like small cultural differences between you know you get annoyed when people are driving too slow whereas I'm very patient when I very defensive when I drive which could just also be me choosing to be a defensive driver but I mean, there are, like that's just a small example of driving uh, culture in Long Island versus Virginia. I mean, one would say I don't drive fast. I also drive defensively. People in Virginia mm -hmm. just like choose to not go as fast as the speed limit. They go super slow. I don't know why. <laughs> they do go the speed limit. But you have <laughs> driving culture and etiquette that you are used to. Even if you don't necessarily follow it and you drive the speed limit, the culture that you're used to is different from what I am used to and how people drive or you know reading a book we might have some same similar expectations for how people will interpret the memories you are you know diffusing in your story but somebody else from a different cultural background different country would have completely different expectations Shall we share our favorite lines? Yes. You can go first if you have yours. Hooray. I, I do have it in front of me. I chose a line from the very end of the story where Pana is having their final vision with a mystery woman who pops up. And she's described as having long brown hair that actually goes down to her waist, which I always admire women who have <laughs> hair that long. I could not imagine taking care of it. Oh my gosh, but I want it. <laughs> it sounds, it looks beautiful whenever I see it. But Pana asks her, will Vare be there with me at the end? 
Helen chuckled again. Perhaps. And that was Pana asking, like, basically, will the apocalypse happen again? And will Vare, you know, be standing with me by my side, you know? Will we be on the same team, basically? And I liked that, um, you know, ambiguity, a little bit of uncertainty there. Because we don't, we can't know for sure, and Pana obviously wants to hope for the best, but knows it's not certain either. And, I mean, I think it's the harbinger for, like, heck no, she's not going to be on your side. Things are going to get worse mm. from here on out. But I think it's a nice little tipping point for the deterioration, further deterioration, of their relationship. Yeah, and definitely after all these, like, positive memories, you see that, like, they want Vari there, potentially. I don't know if they necessarily want Vari there, but they're asking if Vari will be there with them. I don't know, I have such... Oh. Helen is, like, such an important character to me, and I don't really want to get into why. Mm -hmm. But I don't know... I like this scene, but I also don't like it, because they had a wonderful ending before. Basically, when the other scene ended, the other vision ended, with, like, Vare and Pana, mm -hmm. I initially ended it there. And I thought that was really impactful, and then I just, like, added this. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Will this scene be there in the end? Perhaps, I guess. I like it. <laughs> Because it ties back to the overarching plot and not just, you know, the emotional mm. through line, but it connects the emotional through line to the overarching plot, which I think is important. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, well, we'll think about it. The line that I wanted to go for, it's two sentences, so it's in the, in the speech that this person in the past gives to the president. And basically, like, they're in this bunker and the president's going, like, he's just really paranoid at this point. And a person comes in and is like, oh, like, they found us. And he's like, who found us? And he's like, you know, spewing these things like, oh, it must be this person or that person. Like, they're all after me. And then the, the person, so Pana is like embodying this person in this memory. And they, they give this whole speech about what the president ultimately did to like destroy the world and the line that i'm going for so at the end of their their little speech they go of course the rest of the world was going to go after you you did this and just like the idea of like responsibility or like something that i think is really lacking in america's politics today is just like everyone is scared to take responsibility of like their actions and their policies and things and there's like this idea like if someone accuses you of something it's like oh it's cancel culture it's like there's no even like attempt to think of like you know why are so many people angry at me and telling me what i said was wrong is there a way to like respond to that and like maybe apologize and like move forward with them or do you like deny it and just you know, yell at the people who are who are calling you out for your actions, your words. So I just thought that was a really important part of this. Because this, this story is basically 
these two characters, Pan and Vare, moving through this world like after an event happened. And, you know, part of like memory is like, or part of the memory in this case is like, do you remember what happened? And like, do you alter that memory or do you stick to like what happened? Like that original memory of like whatever the thing was that happened and take responsibility for it. Yeah, it makes me think of like, how do you... I guess, honor that memory or erase that memory if you choose to do that or repress it. Many things that can be done with memory that some are more on the productive side, some are more on the reactionary or even maybe survivalist mode of this is too painful to even contemplate. So I'm going to bury it deep and just not think about it or even talk about it with people. Or someone who caused pain, not pain that they experienced, but like someone who caused pain to others who doesn't even have to think about it because their position of power and position in society allows them to just be like, that was a thing that happened. It's not even important enough to even be an important memory for them because it doesn't register Okay, closing thoughts, everyone. My closing thoughts are that memory is inconsequential, and we don't need to think about anything after it happens. The end. That's it. (laughs) I have the lifespan of a fruit fly. My actions affect nobody. (laughs) Yeah, but I think, like, the main thing for me... And this wasn't the main thing when I was writing it, but just like after this conversation, the idea of like memory as something that isn't truth. Like memory Mm -hmm. is subjective. Even if you have a memory, you can alter your own memory of the thing that happened or try to like present yourself as if this memory didn't happen or if it's like a collective memory and like people know about it you can alter who knows about it what is actually remembered about whatever is being remembered or misremembered or unremembered like memory is like super not set in stone and it's a lot of like what we make of it Mm -hmm. whether that's on an individual level or like as a society if it's like stories we tell ourselves if it's the landscape that we build if it's the flags that we fly or like the the buildings that we construct a lot of stuff goes into memory mm-hmm. yes including my faulty memory with my brain that cannot remember things very well or how people latch on to random things and then that becomes the main center of their memory like i remember one thing from this one vacation and that is the most important thing it can be, it's incredibly a subject, subjective experience just within the own human mind, but tripled and quadrupled and, you know, just infinitely larger for whole collective societies. Memory is completely unreliable and completely malleable. Yeah. And as you're writing, just like that's something to keep in mind, like 
how is the thing being remembered who is remembering it like what are they being told to remember like what direction like the memory is coming from there's what what pressures are there so it's not even just like thinking of a timeline and stuff it's thinking about like who like what characters you have what the society is like what the setting is like basically just world building (laughs) (laughs) i love it but on that strong note thank you listeners for another wonderful episode we hope you check out our patreon you you can check out the link in our description of this episode and have a wonderful day week year centennial anything you want i don't know when you're listening to this (laughs) this also will probably not be aired for a while so some of the things you know, we might make temporal, certain time-based references that will sound strange in a few months' time. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think the the listeners will know unless we say this was recorded in, like, the middle of March. And I think the release date for this is, like, September or something. It's a few months from now. But we'll mm-hmm. see. There may be an apocalypse by the time this is released. We have no way of knowing. No, I hope not. I truly hope not. Anyways. (laughs) On that cheery note. (laughs) Signing off. Bye, everyone. Let's do the um the line thing.